Hey, friends, and welcome back to this week's episode of Fit Friends Happy Hour. I'm Renan Diet Dietitian, trainer and host Katie, and this is episode 265. Have you ever been forced to take a rest day? Did skipping a workout give you a little anxiety? Did it make you a little more antsy? Maybe you even found yourself mentally counting calories, even though you thought you had a healthy relationship with exercise and food. Well, we've talked about this topic quite a bit, which is why I'm really excited for you to go deeper with today's episode with our guest expert, Taylor Lechner. Now, Taylor and I actually went to school together at Purdue University studying dietetics and nutrition. We both have a background in fitness, which is really where our paths collided as group fitness instructors. So we have a really interesting conversation just about her experience. I'm going to ask her some specific questions regarding compulsive exercise, disordered eating, kind of the overlaps and links. But also we, full disclaimer, go on quite a few tangents just about the industry and what we're seeing and kind of the crossover between both nutrition and fitness. So Taylor is actually the nutrition and culinary manager at the EMILY program in Columbus. This is a very well-known outpatient site for eating disorders but she also has her own private practice called LK Nutrition LLC. She's the co-founder there. She's been practicing in the field, working with all different levels of care when it comes to eating disorder treatment. And in addition to counseling clients, she also is an educator to professionals. So she creates and leads online courses, teaching dietitians and students how to effectively work with clients struggling with eating disorders. And she's also an adjunct adjunct professor, I'm not saying that right. She's super smart, but she also works at Bowling Green State University. So my point is this girl knows her stuff and I'm, I'm just really excited for you to hear her perspective on this because, you know, she works with the sickest of the sick and there's a lot to learn from that. You know, I think we talk about how normalized verbiage and even behaviors around food and exercise. And so I want you to really listen to this episode with an open mind, an open heart. And if something pulls at your heartstrings and we throw a ball, it lands in your backyard, I want you to take action. That is my challenge to you today is to take action based on today's episode. All right, team, let's get into it. Hey, and as always, if you love this show, if you love this podcast, we love you and we would love if you left us a review or hit the follow button. That is how we are able to actually reach more people who need to hear this non-diet message. Welcome to Fit Friends Happy Hour, a podcast about all things nutrition, fitness, and life in your 20s and 30s, all from a non-diet lens. I'm your host, Katie Hake, and I'm a registered dietitian, nutritionist, and certified personal trainer. Join me here every week as I talk with interesting people and experts from all walks of life about their relationship with food and their bodies. I'll also share my experience working with clients in my private practice to help women find food freedom and body confidence. I'm on a mission to help you stop quantifying and start living. Learn to stop measuring your success by the scale and find your fears. Taylor, happy Friday at the time of this recording. Welcome to Fit Friends Happy Hour. 
Thank you. So excited to be here. So excited to just reconnect. And we have so many similar paths over the past few years. And I'm, I'm just really excited for my audience to learn from you and listen from you because you have just had so much interesting experience over the over the years. And I know you're going to bring a lot of value to today's episode. So tell us just a little bit about yourself, you know, personally, professionally, what's your story with food, with exercise, kind of where'd you get to where you are today? Yeah. Yeah. So I am lucky. I always knew I wanted to be a dietitian and my path to what I am doing as a dietitian has changed over the years based on my personal experience. So a lot like you, I started out in wanting to work with people to lose weight. And at the time I thought that was what was like healthy. And I quickly learned that that's actually not healthy. And so I've in the past also struggled with my own disordered eating and unhealthy relationship with food. And so that really influenced me to be like, you know, this is not actually what I want to go into and shifted me towards working with eating disorders. Because as you get more entrenched in diet culture, you start to realize how big of a beast it is. And I didn't want anyone else to suffer with it like I had in the past and really wanted to help individuals who were struggling with that. So I was able to get a one-week rotation only in eating disorders during my internship because we learned hardly anything about eating disorders and dietetics. So side note, Taylor and I went to school together. I think we had, I vividly remember like one class where yeah. she was from, I don't even remember her name right now, but she came from the exercise school. Why can't I think of words right now? <laughs> yeah. She came from like that, yeah. that area of study at Purdue and she came and did like one class that was educating. You know, she wasn't yep. a dietitian. I think she suffered from an eating disorder and she pretty much just shared her story and facts about it. Right. And I don't even remember that. <laughs> I, remember one, <laughs> I remember one class in grad school and it was mm-hmm. very much about anorexia, bulimia. And that was my sports. It was, was it sports nutrition? I think that's what it was. So, which, you know, binge eating disorder is actually the most prevalent eating disorder. And we didn't learn anything about that. And so, yeah, I didn't learn it. And now we know there's multiple eating disorders. You know, a lot of people think it's just anorexia and, and bulimia and we've been eating and that's it. And the reality is there's such a wide spectrum. So yep. yeah. Okay. So you had yeah. the, the one week rotation and then kind of what was the next? Yeah. And that, that really just confirmed, yes, I want to work in this population. Cause since I had no experience with it, I was like, would I actually like this? Would that be completely not what I wanted? And that really confirmed that's what I wanted to to do. You get to have such a unique relationship with clients. And I loved that. I am not meant for a clinical setting. I'm so glad some people are. And I really wanted to have that connection when I'm on with clients and seeing them through successes, struggles, that kind of stuff. And you really get that in eating disorder work. So I valued that. And then I went on to grad school at Bowling Green and I was able to focus my master's project on eating disorders and um, specifically exercise and disorder eating. Those are my two passions because like you, I am a formally, I was a group fitness instructor, which is one of the connections we shared when we were at Purdue. Yeah, I love that. And, and I'm really excited to talk about today's topic because, you know, we've of course talked about these topics, but I don't know if we've had a specific episode on this podcast, at least definitely not this year, talking about the specific ties between compulsive exercise and disordered eating. And I think you and I know 
coming from the fitness industry. Oh my gosh. It's a compulsive exercise is almost like, <laughs> like disordered eating is so normalized. And yeah. I think it's like the same for compulsive exercise. Like that almost becomes normalized when you're in this industry. So let's start, maybe let's start there. Can, can we actually define compulsive exercise? Like what are red flags? What does that even look like? Yeah. And you're exactly right. It's so normalized. And so I'm going to be saying some things that people are kind of like, Oh, like, I do is that. this me? <laughs> <laughs> so when I talk to clients about this, I really focus on, you know, a couple different aspects of it's, you know, it's something where you it's taking away from your life worth living versus enhancing your life. So it's Ooh. something that you may cause anxiety, it may cause you to think too much about how your body looks or that function of exercise versus actual health. And I think also with the rigidity, it's something where we basically learn not to listen to our bodies. And that's very normalized in the fitness world and sports even of push past, you never regret a workout. When in reality, if you're tired, you should sleep in and skip a workout. Or if you were planning to go to this hit class and you're like, you know, I'm just not feeling it. I would rather take a rest day or go for a walk but I should do it anyway. I think that's very much a sign of compulsive exercise in the diet culture side of fitness that we live in. Mm -hmm. This kind of go hard all the time. Can't stop. No pain, no gain mentality. Absolutely. So I'm curious of your opinion, because of, of course you are in the thick of it in the work that you do, but what's your opinion, both clinically, professionally, or personally, professionally on can people have, you know, compulsive exercise, but a healthy relationship with food? I think so. I've seen some research when I was doing my master's program about some people just the high from exercise, like there's exercise withdrawal when someone stops exercising, if they've used it compulsively. Exercise withdrawal. Tell tell us a little bit more about that. (laughs) It's similar to withdrawal from a substance abuse. It's where you get jittery. You can't stop thinking about doing exercise. You might see someone, let's say you're compulsively running and you're trying not to, you see someone running and you have just like this really almost like FOMO of, I need to be doing that right now, or that looks really good. You can't stop thinking about it, anxiety, not doing it. So there are withdrawal effects from exercise. And we know that they're highly linked with eating disorders. So about 30 to 80 something percent of people who struggle with an eating disorder struggle with compulsive movement. Mm. Wow. That's pretty, I mean, that's pretty high. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a big range. And I would say a lot of my clients that's at some point in their eating disorder, that could be a challenge for them is incorporating movement in a balanced way. And from your experience, you know, what have you seen as common? Why do you think that is that exercise becomes such a piece of the disordered eating or eating disorder? Yeah, so many factors. I think first and foremost, just the messages we get of, you mentioned it earlier, you can never work out too much. It's better to push harder. It's not a good workout unless you sweat, you're sore, you're uncomfortable. You have to do it to be healthy. And in reality, yes, we want some movement and that's beneficial. And most of the studies done on exercise and health, it's a moderate level activity. It's not this HIIT training, excessive, you know, lifting heavy weights, doing it every single day that a lot of people take. 
And I think that's a piece of our black and white society of like, it's all or nothing. I either do the really hard for 60 minutes every day or it's not worth it. And so that's just simply not true. But those messages we get from family, friends, coaches, being in sports, doctors, medical professionals, I think that really has an influence. And then you add that extra layer of diet culture and being told like, you can change your body and look better. And, you know, so you had health and then that, that look that you were told from exercise you get. And I think that's, that's the recipe for using that really compulsively and it becoming unhealthy. What are some of the, you know, you mentioned like running, do you notice a trend with like the type, the modalities of exercise that some of your clients Mm -hmm. do that like, is there a correlation that's, you know, yeah. super, air quotes, super scientific, but, but is there a correlation <laughs> that you saw with like the types of exercise that people tend to get, you know, these behaviors around compared to others? Yeah. That's what my, my grad school program was. Oh, about, really? Oh my gosh. Tell us more about that. I'm so interested. <laughs> sure. So I looked at the rate of disordered eating and muscle dysmorphia based on exercise types. So pause. What I'm going to pause you right there. So explain what is muscle dysmorphia? Muscle dysmorphia is essentially this, they call it reverse anorexia sometimes. So essentially, instead of wanting to get thinner, someone wants to get more muscular and they will go to great lengths to achieve that. So that's very much linked to like excessive weightlifting, eating tons and tons of protein mm-hmm. to the point where it causes kidney damage. Which I know, I know somebody who experienced that. Yep. Um, yeah. People don't think about that. Right. Again, it's like you can never get too much protein, but you can't weigh too many carbs and fats. When in reality, you need everything in moderation. So you can't have too much protein. But that's essentially what muscle dysmorphia is. In addition, they look at themselves in the mirror and they may see someone who's really, really thin, but in reality, maybe they are super, super muscular already, but it's just, they don't see that. And so it drives that compulsion to get bigger. Mm, Interesting. Interesting. Okay. So that's muscle dysmorphia back to what you, you studied and, and researched on. Yep. So we looked at primarily people who did aerobic activities. So like cardio, running, spinning, those types of things strength, anaerobic, so weightlifting, hit, which involves mostly strength, and then stretching. So yoga, stretching, tai chi, and non-exercisers. Interestingly enough, the non-exercisers were the ones that had the least disordered relationship with food or their bodies. Mm. It's kind of sad if you think about it. And I think that there's a middle path there. of Like we want people to exercise and it's about finding something you enjoy. Mm-hmm. Those who did primarily aerobic were at more of a risk for higher disordered eating. And those who did strength-based activities were more at risk for muscle dysmorphia. So it kind of makes sense of those who were doing aerobic, maybe they wanted to burn calories and maybe that tied into their eating. Those doing strength wanted to build muscles. Maybe that was tying into muscle dysmorphia. Those who didn't do exercise, maybe they have less desire to use exercise as a way to change their body or their eating habits or compensate for eating. And then the mindful movement type of pieces, the yoga, stretching, they had the least amount of disordered eating and muscle dysmorphia. That's so, so interesting and and very much makes sense. You know, even just you describing this, I, I can think of so many clients from my experience mm-hmm. over the years that that definitely very much fall into those certain categories. 
but even for my own story, I, I can definitely relate to that. There were seasons where it was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to run a marathon, but that's really hiding. So let's talk about that a little bit. You know, do you see, mm-hmm. where do you see people turning into like fitness competitions or when you mentioned muscle dysmorphia, I think about bodybuilders, physique competitors, like where's the line there with, you know, do you believe that people can, back to that question, have a healthy relationship with food and be, you know, training for some sort of competition in that sense? Yeah, it's so sticky. You know, I, a friend of a friend who I met at her wedding recently, and she did fitness competitions. And I would never have known that like physique, when I physique, physique, like physique, physique competition. Yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, she actually had trouble getting pregnant. And so she, she stopped doing that. And so she was talking to myself and my my friend, our mutual friend is an eating disorder therapist. Mm, And so she was talking to her about, you know, is this, can I not get pregnant because I did these competitions and I really had to work out really intensively and really limit what I was eating. And my friend was like, well, maybe it might have. So even though she wasn't going into it with that mentality of it changing her body to like look a certain way, you know, I think just that drive, it did impact her physiology. Mm or physically, but I don't necessarily think she has an eating disorder, disordered eating. And then other people that we talk about in eating disorders, there's a switch that can be flipped when you are deficient in nutrition or when you're excessively moving. So you are more likely to develop an eating disorder after dieting, Mm. or if you go on a diet, it's likely to flip that switch. If you are mourning or you get like really sick and you lose weight, that can also flip the switch and that can help you develop an eating disorder. So there's so many different pieces and parts. So I guess my answer is like, yes and no, it really just depends. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I think that I'm sure a lot of listeners can resonate because, you know, I've seen many clients over the years who there's clients who it, it makes sense. It makes sense that you're here in my office, because you have had a very difficult past around food, around your body. You've had a complex, you know, childhood, unhealthy relationships, right? People who've made comments about you. But then I've also had clients who had a air quotes, normal, (laughs) you know, upbringing around food, very neutral way that they look at food and movement. And then all of a sudden, at some point in their adulthood, they do one diet and it, like you said, flips a switch that then they're just sent down the spiral. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's scary and it's interesting. And that can be really helpful for clients to understand of like, that is a a sign that your body is not okay, Mm. which can help validate why they should choose recovery versus that next diet, because that next diet is what got them here in my office or your office. Right. That's really interesting to think about too, you know, for somebody who's listening as well, if let's say you felt air quotes, nor I'm using air quotes a lot today, if you felt normal or from, from your perspective, felt like you've had a healthy relationship with food or exercise, all of a sudden you decide, okay, I'm going to train for this half marathon or marathon. Then at some point in your journey, you realize, oh, this is becoming too much. Like what would some of those red flags be for somebody when it comes to exercise specifically? Mm -hmm. So if you're skipping out on events that 
align more with your values or goals. So for example, if you're skipping out on happy hours with friends to train, sometimes that's okay if that's something you would rather do, right? Like that's where the line is kind of blurry of, you know, if I really wanted to do that training or like that's what I'm choosing to do and I'll go out with my friends and spend time with them later in the week, that's okay. But if you're constantly avoiding or skipping things that give you enjoyment because you feel like you should do that run or you should do that lift or whatever it is, you know, again, that's taking away the life enhancing aspect of movement and that's causing more stress. So I think that's point number two, is it causing more stress and anxiety doing that movement than it is taking away? A lot of my clients will say, well, it helps manage my anxiety. It helps me feel better. It helps me be less depressed. And there's that bell curve there too, of like, you need to find like too little exercise. Yes. Like it is good for those happy endorphins, um, as Elwood would say, (laughs) and it's something that can be beneficial for your mental health. However, you have to find your sweet spot and that's different for everybody. Too much of that takes that sweet spot away and it causes more stress and anxiety. And it can't be your only tool in your tool belt either. You need to have other things besides exercise to manage that stress, anxiety, depression, whatever it is. That's such a huge point. Other other tools in your toolbox to manage all the things that we experience as humans. So are there ever mm-hmm. situations where you would recommend somebody to stop their exercise routine altogether? So if someone is not getting enough nutrition and or if they're medically compromised because they're over-exercising, not getting enough nutrition. What is that? Can, can you define medically compromised? Yeah. So where I work at the Emily program, it's very much you work on a team, which is great. So we always need a either a release information for a physician or we have a trained clinician or physician on staff who for a higher level of care folks, they're monitoring like their heart rate, their blood pressure, their labs, et cetera. So if they're letting me know, you know, hey, their their blood pressure is low or, you know, I'm not a, a physician, so I don't know exactly what they would say, but then that keys us in of like, they need to, they can't use the stairs, they have to use the elevator, they can't go on walks after meals, like the rest of the group. And we really need to abstain from, from exercise because that could be really, really harmful for them. Mm. Okay. So medically, so if they're medically compromised or what was the other thing you said? I'm sorry. Oh, it's okay. Medically compromised. And then if they're not nourished enough. So from our end as a dietitian, if they're not getting enough nutrition, then I always tell my clients, I'm like, I want you to be able to do exercise. Like I enjoy exercise and you need to be nourished to do that exercise. So it doesn't harm your health. And we need to find something that you actually like doing versus what the eating disorder likes doing or what diet culture says you should be doing. So those are the two things that I want to see in place of like you're medically stable per your primary care doctor and you're eating enough because if we don't have those two components, then it's going to be more harmful than beneficial to do. Even if the eating disorder is like, I really, really want to do this. Right. Yeah. That, and that voice can be so loud. What about for somebody who maybe they, they are at the extreme where they have an eating disorder, but they definitely have some form of disordered eating. Maybe they're listening. They've worked with the dietitian in the past or are thinking about it, you know, for mm-hmm. kind of the average exercise enthusiast, like, is there a point for them where somebody should take, you know, maybe not stop completely, but take a break from their routine? I think it's always interesting to take a break and actually evaluate how that makes you feel. I've done that myself. Mm-hmm. And 
it's very powerful. I like to always practice what I preach every period of time. And so I've forced myself to take a prolonged break from exercise. And that was really helpful for me because I realized I was like, wow, like I do use this sometimes too much when I'm stressed or it causes me some anxiety when I'm not doing it. And so that was really helpful just as like a check-in for myself of I need some different coping tools. Mm. So I think it can be really powerful. One, it's good just physiologically to take a break from exercise for a week or two weeks every you know, couple of months. It's good for your body to have that time to repair and do all the things it needs to do when it's not breaking down the entire time. And two, mentally, I think it can be really helpful to see like what comes up or are you devoting too much time to it? Is it, would it give you more free time to spend with your friends or doing hobbies that you also enjoy doing. Mm -hmm. I love that example of using it as a test of like, how do you feel physically, but also how do you feel mentally, you know, and you may, you may be surprised and go, Oh no, I'm, I'm okay. I can handle this. This actually feels nice. Or on the flip side, if you recognize, Oh, I'm not okay. If I, (laughs) if I skip a day, you know, day three into the experiment, if you are like losing your cool, that's, yeah, like a huge red flag of I need other mm-hmm. tools in my toolbox. I love, love, love yeah. that example. Yeah, I was just so many thoughts. I was just going to add too. I think that is something we that's just not normalized is taking that prolonged break. It's very much like you need to do more. You need to do it this many times a week. And we have to remember the American, I forget, Medical Association, I think they're the ones that make those guidelines of like 30 minutes, your heart rate this high, five times a week. That is such an umbrella recommendation. So just like we as dietitians provide individual recommendations on nutrition, not everyone needs 2000 calories a day. And so not everyone needs those AMA recommendations of 30 minutes, you know, so many times a week, heart rate above however much. So I think that's another piece of education I provide my clients as well, too. Yeah, wherever, you know, especially for the compulsive exercise or what's like the number that you have in your brain, <laughs> whether it's well, that's another. Yeah, sorry to interrupt. No, you. please go ahead. Another key you had asked like red flags. I think that's another one that I, I see a lot is like the, the drive by number. I have to meet this many steps. I have to lift heavier than last week. I have to do this many reps, this many minutes versus what would it be like just to stop when you felt like stopping? It's not bad to have goals. And if you're pushing past your physical limits continuously to the point where it's not healthy, that is problematic. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Do you see, like, what would you describe as burnout that you see in, in clients or gosh, even friends or family when it comes to like exercise. Do you know what I mean by that? Yeah. (laughs) I'm thinking I'm I'm thinking of me personally. Like I've definitely been in seasons of life where it's like, oh my gosh, why why am I following this routine? Or what what what's the goal here? So I'm curious what your perspective is on that. Yeah. I he's not gonna like this. I'm gonna use my boyfriend (laughs) as an example. Very much does the same thing over and over again. Mm And he always, whenever he is getting ready for his workout, and this has changed with COVID too, because he used to go to a gym and that was more variety. And now it's our basement primarily, but he would just sit on the couch and he'd be like, oh, I have to go lift my legs. I really don't want to. I'm dreading it. And then he would find all these different things to do instead of that. (laughs) And then you come back and be like, I have to go do this. And so I think when you dread 
that workout, that's a big sign that maybe you need to change it up. Maybe it's not the exercise, but you need to change it up and be open to trying different things. And if you're not sleeping well, if you're feeling excessively hungry and tired all the time, that can be a a physical sign. I've experienced that myself when that's a big key of, you know, I'm not, you can eat enough and still overexercise. I think that's something different than I learned in school. I was like, well, if you feel enough, you know, you can't, you could just keep making up for it. Yeah, exactly. When in reality, you know, hormones are affected male and female. It, it really does impact you if you're excessively exercising past your, your sweet spot, even if you're feeling properly for it. So if you're ravenously hungry, not sleeping well, irritable, mm. feeling tired, excessively sore too. I'm sure you've experienced that when we're just like, I have to, when I'm just so sore and it won't go away. That's probably a sign you need a, a period of rest. Yeah. Even if it's, I think it's easy. I imagine our listeners too thinking like, why am I so sore? I haven't really done anything differently or, mm-hmm. you know, my workouts haven't been as intense as maybe they have been in the past. But so what you're saying is you can still feel sore. <laughs> That's a still a sign. It does. It's, it's kind of irrelevant or independent of the actual volume compared to what you did months ago, kind of based yep. on where you're at now that can still be yep. a, a big sign. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So what would you tell someone who feels that they've you know, healed their relationship with food? They feel at a really good place with food, but they still feel stressed. They still feel kind of concerned with their movement. You know, at listening to this, they're kind of getting that like pit in their stomach, a little uncomfortable. What, what advice would you have for, for somebody? Yeah. So exercise is, you know, I talk to my clients a lot about we don't really dive that deep into it because there's really no protocol for it. Mm-hmm. So now more than ever, people are starting to recognize this as a problem of like, okay, we've healed our relationship with food, or maybe that's not a piece of this and it's just the exercise. Okay, now what? And so myself and my co-founder have started doing an iMove group, which is based on talking about the nervous system and talking about all the different components that go into compulsively moving. And it was created by this dietitian in Massachusetts called Amy. Her name's Amy. It's not called that. Her <laughs> name's Amy. <laughs> and she very much developed this protocol or this course based off of her own personal experience. And then also what she's learned as a 10-year dietitian in the field of eating disorders. So we're on our first journey with it now. We're on week five this upcoming Wednesday. And it's shown amazing results. We've learned a lot along the way. And clients who have gone through the whole program have said, you know, this really hits the nail on the head in terms of what I'm looking for with my relationship with exercise, um, because it really dives deep into all the different components, like I said, of like balancing your nervous system, how your values and goals play into what you would like exercise to look like and what you actually like to do. I think that's a big piece of it too. What do you actually like or enjoy versus feel like you should be doing or do to change your body? Yeah. And I think that gets so sticky for people. There, there's so much information, even just, you know, if we cut out food, like just in the exercise piece, there's so much mm-hmm. information. There's so many different types of workouts. There's so many different gyms and studios and boutiques that I think that alone movement can feel really overwhelming and yeah. maybe even shifting 
you know, what they do feels can feel scary. Yeah. And I know you still work, you very much are involved in the fitness space. And I used to be involved a lot. And I just looking back, it's one of those cringeworthy moments of that's one of the reasons why I still love fitness. And I got out of specifically teaching. I just was like, you know, I just one time and two, I feel like this isn't the space for me at this point in time. And so I'm really glad that you're still out there teaching and you are a voice of moderation and listening to your body versus a lot of instructors are very much like push, look at those numbers, keep pushing. But for me, I was like, you know, this is, I think it's time for my, my retirement from the fitness world. Because it was very, sure. very toxic. Yeah. In a lot of and I will definitely say, you know, it's, I have days where that volume feels louder than others. And I think for me, and, and I'm actually going to ask you a question about this in a second, but for me, it's, it's really kind of filtering. And it's the same as a dietitian out in the space as well. As a dietitian, it's a fitness professional, it's just a human walking around. I almost sometimes really have to filter what I respond to and what I just have to brush it off mm-hmm. because I'm sure as you know, <laughs> it's like, it's aggravating. I want to just change the world now, everyone in the world mm-hmm. right now here, but realizing that everybody has their own yeah. journey and having to take it kind of one one day at a time, one conversation at a time for me, leading one workshop at a time, coaching one class at a time. Like it's very uh, piece by piece. Yeah, no, that's, I talk about that a lot too. We are a few small fish in a big sea of, of diets and weight loss and looks and vanity. And, you know, we're also going against the current. Mm -hmm. So it will get there. It's just very slow. And it is, it's one person joining our pack at a time. Right. One person joining our pack. I love that. So <laughs> what advice would you have for somebody who say, same as you and I, you know, they, they want to protect their energy while healing their relationship with movement or after listening to this, they've identified, Hmm. Okay. Yep. I need to really get this in check, kind of explore, go a little bit deeper of what my relationship with movement looks like. How can they protect their space? You know, stay aligned with that, with that focus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's always really helpful to talk to somebody, whether it's a, you know, even if you don't have an eating disorder, an eating disorder informed, or maybe a a health at every size informed practitioner. So therapist, dietitian, just having that team, I, I think is so helpful just to get some wisdom around. And, you know, maybe there's other groups out there like the iMove group we're running, or maybe there's other providers who specialize. We have in Columbus, there's someone here who specializes in like athletics and sports and has that eating disorder experience. So that is a great resource as well. And then just continuing, I think doing your own research and kind of looking at first and foremost, like what are my goals and values? And if I had a crystal ball, what would my ideal relationship with exercise look like? And then figuring out how do I get there? Is that talking to somebody? Is that taking that extended rest period and seeing what comes up. And then that helps me determine if I need to talk to somebody or not. Is it switching up what I do? Maybe I used to love marathon training and now I'm noticing, oh, I just don't want to do that anymore. Like you're my boyfriend in that instance, or you're like, oh, I don't want to do that. I'm going to try and avoid this. Right. So maybe it's time to try like a dance fitness class or one of Katie's Pio classes or something. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> what I, I thought of another question So on that same alignment, because I get this question a lot as well, I'm curious your thoughts of finding a trainer or finding a gym. Like I think 
at least for my clients, it can feel like they're swimming upstream sometimes trying to find like a community more so from a group fitness, but even, even personal training, it can feel really challenging to find somebody who has the same brain that we do. Do you have any advice for researching or just like navigating that kind of stage? You know, I can send you, I started compiling over the last year. So especially as COVID has made us shift more virtually, I found a decent amount of like virtual spaces where it's group fitness. Mm -hmm. And so I can send that to you and maybe you can put a link in the podcast about that. But there's a couple different people who I've found both have free YouTube classes and then have paid subscription programs um, who are very body positive and wonderful individuals who are awesome. And I think if it's more of like an in-person thing that you're looking at, I think it's cool to shop around and just kind of feel what your vibe is. When I was looking into different classes, I looked at, you know, who are the type of people that are coming in here who are like, what's the instructors like and trying different instructors too, because some instructors at the same place can be really great. And then other ones can be not so great. So just kind of going with your gut, honestly. I wish I had more of a scientific answer, but... No, I think that's great. And I think the thing that's frustrating for me when I encourage clients to do that is because they often have experiences where they they do kind of get outside of their comfort zone and try, especially in group fitness, where they do try mm-hmm. and it's not the most positive experience. Like that's just like, oh, crushes my soul. But you're right. I think you bring up a good point. Unfortunately, like we don't have the perfect system or compilation of, or I should say, we don't have an all-inclusive list of trainers and fitness professionals who kind of align with us. And so really, especially in your small communities, you have to kind of trial and error until you find yeah. find somebody who, who feels you feel safe with. Well, I think that, you know, going back to who's coming to the class, what are the instructors like too? Like, I think it's really powerful to look for size diversity and just different body shape, sizes, colors, just diversity in general. Because if it's, remember one studio I went to here and I loved it for a while when I was kind of drinking their Kool-Aid for a bit, but <laughs> it's so intense. It was, you know, really gritty. They, they definitely had the, their population down that they wanted mm-hmm. to serve. It was all white, thin, primarily middle upper class people that went here. Mm-hmm. And I, I fall into that. And so I jive with that. And then once I started learning more and more, I just took a step back and I was like, you know, if I was not in this body, if I was not this color, would I feel comfortable going here? Probably not. And if I was in this, you know, I was a fitness professional, I was pretty physically fit and they were intense. And so if I wasn't at that level, I would probably feel extremely disheartened and very much like an outcast there. So that's one of the things that I experienced where I was like, you know, this is interesting to kind of view it from a different lens. That was so interesting that you say that because I had that same experience when I first moved to Indianapolis is I was trying Mm -hmm. to find that you know, who's my gym people? Where's my community? Yeah. And what I thought was like, oh, the best place in town and just like you kind of fell into it. And then I realized when I started to see nutrition clients there, I was like, oh my gosh, what, what am I doing? These, these are not my people. This is, Um, there's no diversity there. (laughs) Just like even pricing, like very exclusive. Yeah. Just, yes just, I realized after a while, and it took me a long time because I think I didn't want to have that conversation with myself of like, gosh, and we could keep talking about this about like fat 
phobia and racism. I think for me, like I was not really at a place of learning until kind of going through that. And I think, gosh, for many people, but for me, 2020 was like a big learning experience from all aspects of that. But at that time I was, I had to think I was just like rejecting it. Like, nope, nope, that's not it. That's not it. And now looking back, that was a hundred percent. I just was so close-minded. <laughs> not even that. I shouldn't say close-minded. I'm, a, I'm gonna like, have to admit it was not a healthy environment. Like I right. think that's at least where I was. It's like I I like this and I didn't want to admit that it's maybe not a great place for a lot of people. Right. Right. Recognize how what do they say? Like privilege is privilege is not realizing there's a problem. Whatever yeah. that quote mm-hmm. is. But yeah. 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 I think I came from a place of like fitness is all rainbows and butterflies and it's inclusive and it's for everybody. And I think at that place where I was at, same as you, it was like, wait, no, this place isn't for everybody. It is not inclusive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I just think about, you know, this place in particular, and you can probably think about this with the place you were going, but their, their videos, their marketing is all thin people, you know, and that just really excludes and plays into that fat phobia of like, fat people can work out, fat people can do this. And they weren't advertising that just like a lot of other places. So I think that's a huge, again, we're kind of going off on a tangent here, but the huge point, there needs to be more diversity in body shapes and sizes in the fitness world. And even instructors, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. I think that shies some people away. I think we're, I think we're making small strides, but I think there's, I just take it back. We're taking, we're making small steps, but there's still (laughs) definitely a lot of work to be be done. Yeah. I think it, for me in that space, I thought, oh, I can, I can fix it. I can, I can be that inclusive person in my class. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, again, going back to kind of protecting your energy and protecting your space, ultimately it was better. I just left <laughs> better mm-hmm. that I went yeah. and yeah. found another you space where I could better serve people versus, yep. you know, yeah, you get it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Oh. Yeah. Well, it's just always interesting. I could talk about this forever. So thank you. First of all, we are going to put a link in the show notes to Taylor's next iMove group or compulsive exercise. If you feel like that's something that, you know, you're really interested in exploring more, maybe you've gone through my program or another intuitive eating type program, and you're ready to really tackle the, the fitness piece, Taylor and remind me your, your coworker's name. Jesse. I was like, Jenny, not Jenny. It's a J. Jesse. <laughs> and Jesse, you know, they they do phenomenal work and just their experience. It's, you know, it's it's so they go deep in a different layer of that. You just can't read about, write about like you actually do the work. So we'll definitely put a link to that in the show notes. But before we wrap up today's episode, Taylor, I always like to hear, especially because it's Friday at the time of this recording, what is yeah, the best thing it. that's happened to you this week? I love that question. I'm going to say, so my boyfriend has been gone on business the entire week, which is sad. And it's allowed myself and my sweet puppy, Blue. He's not a puppy. He's two and a half. But he's right next to me. And we snuggle every night before I go to bed. And we snuggle every morning before I get up and go to work. And so that honestly has been like so nice. So I'm going to say that was my best few moments of this week is snuggling with Blue. I love it. I love it. It's You know, <laughs> I, I will say listeners know that I read. Shouldn't need to really recently. It's been like a year. Got a dog, but she also started yeah. sleeping in our bed. And it's like at first it was very resistant, but there is a cute element. I'm like, oh, snuggles, you're sweet. <laughs> it is, it is cute. How big is your dog? 
Oh, 40, 50 pounds. I don't know. She's okay. Yeah, she was 55. Yeah. They're not a puppy by any means. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So they take up space. It's like a small child in your bed, but yes. it, those snuggles are worth it. And that's why I say like with, with Jared gone, I was like, you know, cause there's ample room for both of us to sleep comfortably and also snuggles. So go. that's been great. best of both. I love it. <laughs> and where can our listeners find you if they want to connect and learn more? Yeah. So um, LK Nutrition LLC is our, Jesse and I's private practice. We just are newly founded in 2021. And then I also work at the Emily program in Columbus, Ohio. So, you know, there's a website I'm on there somewhere, but LK Nutrition is also on Instagram and Facebook, all the cool, cool places that you typically would go to find more information. Thanks, Taylor. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Fit Friends Happy Hour. If you liked this episode, don't forget to share it with a friend. You can subscribe or follow wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at Fit Friends Happy Hour. Talk to you next time.